Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, we just want to come this morning just to praise your name, for it is the greatest name. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you, to celebrate your presence, to express our love to you as a body of Christ. Lord, individual members brought together, Lord, that we may proclaim the goodness of you. And Lord, let us taste anew of that this morning. Strengthen our faith. Give us a greater measure of your faith this morning. Let us see past those mountains that may be before us. And Lord, let us give gratitude and praise for how you've been with us this week and how you provided. Lord, open up our minds and our hearts that we may see all the little ways that you have done so. Let us never despair or wonder if you are with us, but show us how you are in such a mighty way. We just again thank you for this opportunity. May you be glorified in all that we do this morning. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel. Chapter 1, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 1 through 2 as we talk about the heart of a mother. In a time of violence, murder, sexual promiscuity, and deceit, a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, enters a woman desperate for a child. Married into a polygamous marriage, her husband loves her as though she is bearing without child. The other wife has been blessed with many sons and daughters, yet she is jealous of the husband's attention towards the childless wife. She makes it a point to taunt her to the point of making her life miserable, causing the barren woman to not eat and to be in continual weeping. Her clueless husband responds to her pain by saying, Why do you weep? And why do you not eat? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Imagine. Living in a world, in a society, where motherhood is exalted. To bear sons is considered not only good, but it's considered a duty of a wife. To one's husband, to one's family, and to one's society. Your whole identity and self-worth is wrapped into bearing not just children, but sons. Sons who will carry on the family name. Sons with strong backs who will be able to work the fields. And sons to leave your inheritance too. All the hopes and expectations and dreams reside in your ability to have male sons. Yet you find yourself unable to do so. Father, we step into a world that we truly are not very aware of. We don't live in that type of culture for the most part today. So help us through your spirit to bridge this gap of Hannah and her life and what's going on here in Scripture. Make it alive to us. This is a passage of Scripture that's 4,000 years or so old. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand and see the relevancy today as it was then. Lord, as we give our desires to you, open our hearts and minds to receive and to respond. We pray in your Son's name. Amen. 
In these first two chapters of Samuel, especially the first chapter, we see the saga of a married woman desperate for children, set against the stage of a nation in desperate need of a godly leader. There is no king at this point. The last great judge was Samson. He had died, committed suicide, with his eyes gouged out after a a life of sin. Tribes now are fighting each other, stealing each other, killing and decimating one tribe so much that they have to go and steal women to have brides, enough brides and wives for them. The priesthood is corrupt. Scripture describes this time, as I said before, when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They, for the most part, had abandoned the worship of God and have abandoned the law of Moses. It almost seems that during this period that God has gone silent. He's missing from action, at least from a human perspective. With no judges or godly leaders, no kings, the people are aimless and lost. Yet in God's providence, He will use this young woman to bridge the gap between the judges of Israel and the kings of Israel. So I just want to give you a quick setting. As we come into 1 Samuel here, we get a review of Judges. It's a time with no leader. As I said, Samson has died. They've abandoned, for the most part, the law. They are 12 tribes, but they are really separated. There's a lot of infighting going on. There's a lot of just terrible things. If you were to read the book of Judges, for many of us, it would probably get an NR-17 rating if you were to make a movie, if not worse. The events in Judges are pretty, pretty terrible. The things that are happening that man is doing upon man is just horrific. The priesthood, as I said, is corrupt. Eli, the last remaining one, his sons have turned and now seek after pleasure, spending their money on prostitutes and other things, abusing the priesthood. This is a time when the presence of God seems to be far from them. We see they're from the tribe of Ephraim. And what they would do is they would worship at Shiloh three times a year. Shiloh was the Jerusalem at that time. That's where the tabernacle was. And according to Exodus, the law of Moses, each family was to travel to Shiloh three times a year to give their sacrifices. The characters we find in 1 Samuel chapter 1 are the husband is Elkanai. Hannah is the wife. She's childless but loved. Penanai is wife number two. She has many children, but she's jealous and mean and spends her time taunting Hannah for her lack, her ability to have children. Eli is the high priest. The occasion is the yearly time of worship and sacrifice. The husband would give his wives and children portions in order that they may also worship. But he would give a double portion to Hannah because he loved her and she had no children, but yet he still loved her, which was very different at that time, wife number two, Penina, was reacted with jealousy and taunting, as I said before, and Hannah would retreat into weeping, refraining from eating. The scene is someone that we see here in 1 Samuel. is after a family meal while in Shiloh. They had traveled all together to Shiloh once again to give their worship. They have a family meal, and it's time for their yearly sacrifice. Hannah goes to the tabernacle to pray. Her prayer as we continue on, as I just give a synopsis of 1 Samuel, you can follow along as we're reading. 
We'll read some verses. Hannah goes to tabernacle pray. Her prayer takes the form of a vow in verse 11, where she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, and if you will remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch her head. If you look at that prayer, you see that she asked for three things. She says, look on my affliction. Look on my pain. Would you, would you see me, Lord? And not only see me, but will you remember me? Remember me. And then says, give me a son. She's desperate to be a mother. She's desperate to give her husband a son. But yet in that same way she makes a vow, if you look upon me, if you remember me, and if you hear my cry and you answer by giving me a son, I will give him back to you. Eli, the high priest, is there and he observes her praying. Hannah is so distraught, her prayers are so intense, her soul is in so much anguish that Eli concludes that she's drunk in the house of God. And he asked her if you were to continue. He says, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. In response to his rebuke in verse 15 and 16, she replies, but no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Just a side note, when was the last time you prayed or you poured your soul? out before the Lord. What a great practice. What a great discipline. Just an editorial note. This is something that we need to do. I wonder myself, how often do I pour my soul out? What desires that you have that cause you to be in anguish? To have physical needs or physical, uh, emotional responses. She says, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Satisfied with her answer, Eli gives her a blessing in verse 17 when he says, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Encouraged by this blessing, she says in verse 18, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. You know, now, I'm not sure why that happens, but Eli had enough of an encouragement to her that she believed that God looked, that God remembered, and that God was going to give. She was encouraged by his words, encouraged by his blessing. A man of God had, had put it and said, I believe God is hearing your prayer. I agree with it, and may God grant you. I don't know what really happened in that, but that was enough of an encouragement to just change her demeanor altogether. I think that's something about prayer. As we talked about last week, we need to pray with what confidence, having faith in God, not our abilities, not anything, but in God, in the fact that we are confident that God hears us, that He remembers us. And as He says, He'll give us those things that we desperately need and desire if they're according to his will. Eli seems to say, I concur, I agree with God that this is a good request. And she goes encouraged and her face was no longer sad. First Samuel here paints a a picture of a woman who desires children above all other things. 
Like Sarah and Rachel before her, Hannah finds herself bearing, lacking the ability to have children in an age when a child would describe or, de- or would identify your self-worth. She lived in a time where children were a must. It was a sign, actually, of God's blessing. To be one who did not have children, to be buried, would be a sign of God's judgment on you. Children were needed as workers and inheritors for the land and to carry the name forward. And and Hannah, as the first wife, she was not able to give that to her husband whom she loved. Hannah was most likely the first wife. But since she was childless, her husband took a second who then gave her many sons and daughters. Could you imagine putting yourself into that boat and imagine the shame, the guilt, and the despair she felt? Maybe some of you could because God has you in the very same place. I don't know. But for others, it can be very difficult to put ourselves where she's at. Or maybe there's been some other areas in which guilt and shame and despair has found you. And you find yourself with anxiety and despair crying out, Hear me, see me, remember me, give me. Maybe you found yourself too saying, making a vow. If you do this, then I'll do that. We're always good at making bargains with God. This is where she's at. She's at the end of her rope. I want to make some observations about their marriage. You see this, it's nothing, nothing new, it's nothing outlandish, nothing that I found that has been hidden for thousands of years. Just very simple observations. Is that you see here, as dysfunctional as this family was, they worship together. I have to say that about the husband. He brought his family together. Even though the sister wives there are fighting with each other and there's a struggle there, there definitely is a a thing in which he is a godly man, which he seeks to worship. Three times a year he would go to Shiloh to worship. He was a godly man, as we see, as he loves to worship. But not only that, he loves his wife. His wife is not able to do the most basic of things that is required of a wife to do. Bear male children. She couldn't even give children at all. She couldn't even give uh, daughters that could do the cooking and the cleaning. Again, you and I, we kind of repel at that type of thought and that type of thing, but that's the real world in which they lived in. But yet he loved her. He would give her a double portion. This is a wife that he didn't abandon. This is the wife he said, well, you are not giving me what I deserve, so there you go. No, he loved her. He kept her. I'd like to give a side note. This passage here is not advocating polygamy. Rather, it demonstrates its harm. Just as Hagar gave Sarah problems when she bore a child and Sarah couldn't. Just as there was problems between Leah and Rachel when Rachel could not give children. You see here that this is not something that God intended from the beginning to have. This is something that God did not approve of but tolerated. But you see the sin that involves in this family. Hence why I use the word dysfunctional. Even though they were a family that worshipped God and he loved her, it was still dysfunctional in that. So that's just a side note. Some would look at that and say, well, see, the Bible says it's all right to have two wives. Well, you see the harm here. Yet even in this somewhat dysfunctional marriage, you see a family who is sharing worship and sharing love. Now, some observations about Hannah, because we need to understand Hannah. Hannah was a woman who could not have children. The very thing that she was supposed to do for her husband. Let's just put it out. She had to do it. 
her failure to do so would have been a stigma on her. And I think if, if you were to look at the laws of that time, he could have put her away, but yet he didn't. He loved her. And just like the men of old before, they, they loved their wives. But observations about Hannah. Hannah was a woman of worship. You find her several times praying, many times in the tabernacle, many times worshiping God. She was a, a woman of prayer. She didn't just bemoan her state, but when she is being taunted, when, when the jealousy is overpowering, when her despair has caused her to not even to eat and be scenes of time of weeping, she goes to God in prayer. Now that is, we'll see in a moment, she's a woman of her word. And she didn't just say things to get something she wanted, but she followed through. The crescendo in this narrative, though, where it finds its peak and where it finds its power is in verses 19 and 20. Look at there with me. Which says, They rose early in the morning and they worshipped before the Lord. This is the morning after Eli had given her blessing. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And look at this. And you may want to underline this. This is a great, great little clause. The Lord remembered her. Amen. The Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and she bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For he said, I have asked for him from the Lord. God is a God who remembers. Anyone want to say amen to that? Let me tell you, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know all of what's gone on in your life. But God is a God who remembers. And there are people out there, there is you and I, that we need to remember that there is a God who sees. There is a God who hears. There is a God who remembers. There are people that have been in pain most of their lives and they've cried out and it seems like God has been silent wherever you are. You've been missing. You don't understand the pain and the taunting and the hurt that I have. Let me tell you that God does remember. And that's something for us that we need to hold on to is that he remembers. He hears the cries and the prayers of his children. In Psalms 113, speaking of those that are barren, he says, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. What is it in your life that you need God to remember? I think if we were to look at life of Hannah, that part of our prayers would, God, remember me. God, remember me. Remember that I'm your child. Remember me. As we go on in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're in verses 21 through 28. There's a little bit of delay, but then delivered. As we follow on, the man Elkanah and his, all his house went up again to offer to the Lord. He continues to offer and sacrifice to pay his vow. But in verse 22, But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may be pure in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. All of a sudden it says, Oh, wait a second. Is she someone who says, Lord, look, Lord, remember, Lord, give to me. And then she's going to go back on her word once she has it. Is she now saying, Wait a second, I, I don't think I'm going to follow through. No, she's just weaning her child. She's taking her time and being a mother to this one. Obviously, he needs to be fed. She's doing the duty of a mother to a young child. I'm not sure how old he is into this point, but we see he's still young. 
She goes, when I've weaned him, then I will bring him to the Lord. Verse 23, and her husband said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you wean him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Now, I want to stop there. And here's another reason why I believe that Elkanah is a loving husband, godly husband who loves his wife. In the fact that Hannah, in that culture, again, this is going to strike us odd in our society today. But in that society there, her word, her vow to God actually meant nothing unless her husband concurred with it and affirmed it. In other words, her husband said, hey, I'm not giving it to the Lord. You had no right to give my son away. That's that type of society. But yet he hears her heart. He goes, why is it you finally get a son and now you want to give him to the Lord? Could you imagine what he might have thought, what you would have thought if that were to happen? You finally get your desire, but now you want to give him away? But no, he's a godly, loving husband who sees her heart, who knows his heart. I think of this when Peter tells us, live with your wife in an understanding way, men. We need to live with our wives in an understanding way. Which I, I don't know, that's very difficult. That's, that's such a Rubik's Cube, you know. It's a, you know, I find wives are like that. Just when you get one side all together, all of a sudden you just try to think you're getting it all together and all of a sudden you got it all mixed up. Yeah, yeah. But you know, he says, live with this understanding. Elkanah, he was a man who understood his wife. But what's interesting here is we see in such wonderful words in which it's not so much said, but he says, let it be so. He affirms her desire even when it means giving the thing that she wanted more than anything else away. Even when the son actually does not belong to her, but belongs to him as his namesake, as the one who would inherit his land, as his first wife's son. This was be the one, the firstborn. Because give him away. And when she weaned him, I'm not sure the age, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull and an FF of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I and the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord, for this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Whether Eli remembered this story, we're not told, but she comes and says, I was that woman. Maybe it was three, four, five years ago, but I am that woman. God saw, God remembered, and God gave. But look at verse 28. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And look at the end. And he worshiped the Lord there. Samuel, though he's not aware of God's plan, would be the bridge between the judges and the kings. Uh, he would be the last judge of Israel. He would grow up to be the priest that would bring back honor to the priesthood. He would be a prophet of God that the people would listen and look to for advice. The man who would anoint both Saul and then David, king of Israel. But you may ask, what does it mean to lend your child to the Lord? In this case, you see here a sacrificial love, a, a desire for a mother. And I, I believe this is the heart of a mother, to give back her child, recognizing that what we receive from the Lord is not ours. He is the giver of all good things, but He gives us our money. He gives us our talents, our intellect. He gives us our children, our careers, our strong backs, or all the things that we have are gifts from him to us. And in it, he says, you may use it, but we're to give it and use it 
for the Lord's purpose. She understood this. And she said, this is for the Lord. Let him worship there. Let him serve them. She gave her desires. Let me ask, how many of you are strong enough right now to give your children complete to the Lord? In other words, say, Lord, whatever you want to do, do it. Lord, or whatever, maybe your desire is not so much children, maybe it's something else. Lord, whatever you want my career to do, whatever my financial is, whatever my salary is, Lord, just I'm going to give it to you and you just do with it as you will. Probably not many of us, at least to the point of Hannah is here, but yet she does so. But what I want to get to is we see a wonderful God here in 1 Samuel, do we not? A woman who's desperate for children who's just crying out, would you see me? Would you remember me? Would you give to me? Will you honor my request? We're not told how many years this went on, but I think it was a very long time. Only for God to see, to look, to remember, to give, only then to give that back to the Lord and says, this is for you. This is for you. Now you see a wonderful heart of a mother here. But I see, think you're going to see it even more closely in the scripture that Randy read earlier. So follow with us as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Because we're going to see Hannah's prayer. Is We're going to see some wonderful things about Hannah. The first thing we see is Hannah has a heart of worship. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. She says, she prays, she says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. If you want to be a mother with a, a heart like Hannah, then you're a mother who worships. She understands God. She understands where all things come from. She desires to serve Him. Now, I, to be honest, if many of us would probably say, Hannah had every reason not to worship God. He kept her from having children. Her husband wound up marrying another woman who gave him many children, and then that wife made her life miserable. Why should I ever trust God? Why should I worship God? Maybe you're facing those types of things. Maybe you've had some things in your life and you say, why should I worship God? Why should I exalt in Him? Then God gives it to her and she winds up giving Him back. But she worships Him. She worships Him. The second thing we see is not only does she have a heart of worship, but Hannah also knows God. She knows God. And I want to give you several points there as we look at there. As she says once again, and let me just give my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted, Lord. My mouth. He says, there is none holy like the Lord. She knows that God is a holy God. She says, there's none like you. There is none beside you. There is no rock like you. She also knows that he is a God of knowledge in verse 3, where she says, talk no more so proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. He is a God who knows. He's a God who understands. Hannah is a, a woman of worship. She's a woman who has a heart who knows God. Even in her pain, even in her despair, she knew the God she worshipped. She also recognized in verse 6 that He's a God who is sovereign. For she says the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol or to the grave and he rises up. The Lord makes the poor and makes the rich. He brings the low and he exalts. 
If you were to talk to Hannah this morning, she would want to tell you that God is a God who is sovereign. You and I need to come to our place that in our prayers, in our understanding of God, He's a sovereign God. You will never be able to give up your desires to God. You will never be able to give up your sins to God until you recognize, until you come to the place in your heart that you know that He is sovereign. I would say that you cannot come to the place of salvation until you know that He is sovereign. Why do we fight so much with sin? Because we do not believe that He is sovereign. Or we may believe it intellectually, we may know it as a fact, but yet our lives do not show that we live out that knowledge. For God is sovereign. For we are a new creature. We belong to Him. We are controlled by His love, the Bible tells us. Let me ask, do you know and understand? Does your life, does your thinking, does your decision, is it marked by a knowledge that God is sovereign? That he's the one that rises up. That he's the one that takes down. Then in verse 8, as we just come, he's a God of justice. Hannah needed justice. She needed justice just as much as she needed a child. For she was being condemned for being barren. Her co-wife, a sister wife, sounds a little bit more like a Mormonism, which I don't want to, to say that that's what it was. It's kind of been co-opted there. So her, her co-wife, if so to speak, is taunting her, making her life miserable. And Hannah knows that it's not her fault. She understood that God is the one who opens and closes the womb. Who am I? What could I do? Yet she's under these taunts day in and day out. The fact that God is a God of justice is probably one of the things that got her through when she said, remember me. Remember me. Look upon my pain and affliction. And I think that meant the taunting, maybe the, the scars, and not only that, the disgrace that she lived under as a woman with no child, as a wife who was not given her husband and the society that child. Look at verse 8. For God raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. He says, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful one, but the wicked shall be caught off in darkness, for not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord, they shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Let me tell you, in this time of age, in the setting of the judges, the fact that God is a God of justice was a God of hope for those who lived during a time when there was a no hope. If we're talking about writing and movies, I mean, this is Lord of the Rings time. This is the, this is the time of the dark ages, so to speak. This is where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, where you could not trust your brother or your sister or your fellow tribe. This is a time when murder was something that was as easily spoken of and something that people were not guilty of. I mean, again, just reading the book of Judges could bring a blush to your face. But this is the time, and she recognized God is sovereign. God is a God of justice. I will not sit under this condemnation forever. And I believe she believed that whether she had a child or not. And let me tell you, in this time of political season, in this time when, when culture is changing so quickly, 
we have a God who's a God of justice. All lives matter. And one day God will set things right. Amen? And you today, you may be living under some injustice. You may have experienced some injustice in your life. You may be still carrying the scars and the pains of injustice in your psyche and in your life. But let me tell you, one day there will be justice. One day God will remember you and justice will be done. And to His glory and for our good. And to some of us, to our condemnation, for we have been unjust towards others. But let me tell you, there is a day when God will weigh the scales and He will put them in balance. That is our hope. May we find ourselves by God's grace on the right side of that balance. But number three, as we continue in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah continues to love, to provide, and nurture her son. She did not take the gift of God and send him on his way. No, she still loved that child, nurtured that child. Look at it. And Samuel was ministering in verse 18 before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless them and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she has asked the Lord. So then she would return to her home. So each time as she would go, two to three times a year, she would bring with him provision. She continued to love and to provide and nurture her child. She did not forget Samuel. She just loved him and mothered him in a much different way than many of us would expect. She didn't abandon him, but loved him and nurtured him. She took her time. But in verse 21, once again we see the wonderful hope of a God who remembers as Hannah is rewarded for her faithfulness. Look at verse 21. Indeed, I love that. What a great way to start that. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah. Not only did he remember her once, but as we see, he's going to remember her many times. And she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. By the end, she had been given six children. One she gave back to the Lord, and he said, here's five more. Three sons and two daughters. She was remembered. God opened her womb. What a wonderful story. Hannah is rewarded for her faithfulness. In this, we see that Samuel is serving the Lord. This is something that I believe that every mother should desire for your child. As much as you should desire for them to be healthy and to flourish and to do all these things, you and I should desire above all things that our children treasure the Lord and serve Him. Amen? That should be our desire. That's that's the greatest gospel evangelistic move in the world is to have children and to share with them the gospel, to demonstrate. I believe mothers are the very doors to the gospel and that they demonstrate God's love for us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us that's a mother who loves her child when he's hitting her when he's spitting at her when he's saying no but she's still cleaning his dirty nose that's a mother what a great picture of what Christ has done for us you see Hannah visiting and providing you see Eli continuing to bless and you see the Lord rewarding This is an action-packed two chapters where God is re-looking, remembering, and giving, and she's returning. And God is rewarding her for it. But look at verse 26. 
For here we come to the conclusion of this part of Hannah's life and this thing as we go on in Samuel. And this is so important. Look at verse 26. Now, and this is chapter 2. Now this boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Let me ask mothers, what do you want your boys and girls to do? Wouldn't you like this to be on a card? Mother, thank you for serving me, for loving me, for just embracing me because I'm serving the Lord and I'm finding favor with Lord and also with man. So many times you may go into a house and you may see those little, you know, little marks where we measure our children as they grow. But do we measure the favor they find with God? Now we may find the favor they have with man because we want all our children to be liked and have friends, right? But finding favor with God has so much more importance. And favor with God is for those who love Him and serve Him and embrace Him. God shines His face on those. But not only that, as soon as I read that verse, it reminded me of another mother and son. You compare this with another mother who was given the gift of a child and willingly gave that child back to God. Take your Bibles, if you would, with me and turn to Luke chapter 2. See, Samuel is a prototype. He's a type of another mother and child that would come. In this case, it's not a mother who desired a child so much as she was surprised with the gift of a child, but then said, you're going to have to give me that child back. We know that mother is Mary and Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Both Hannah and Mary received a child from God, and both gave them up to serve God. Both are quoted in Scripture then with songs of praise to God. If you were to look at the, the praise of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2 and the one in Luke 2 with Mary, you would find them very consistent with each other. Yet both continue to love, to nurture, and to support their sons. Hebrews 11.32 gives us a glimpse in Samuel. When it says, what more shall I say? For a time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel. Samuel is listed in that great hall of faith of one who served God, who loved God and did God's purposes. You know, you and I, we live in a society today that seems to me that does not treasure children or even value motherhood as it once were. But let us not fall into that trap, into that way of thinking. Motherhood looks very much different than it does at that time. And I think praise God for that. Motherhood is going to take different forms. Some good, some bad. But motherhood is something we ought to value. Why? Because the Bible is very clear. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a treasure and until that time that he comes, the work of a mother is never going to end. She is to have a heart of God, a heart of worship and a heart of service. That's the heart of motherhood. What does this say to mothers today? And let me close with these questions and answers. What does this passage say to mothers today? 
I think it's very clear. You need to have a heart of worship and you need to have a heart of service. You need to love your husband. You need to love your children and you need to serve them in the Lord. You need to know the God who is a God of justice, a God of sovereignty, and a God of knowledge. Impart these to your children above any everything else. Yes, you need to teach them reading and writing and arithmetic. You need to teach them how to bathe themselves and how to brush their teeth. But above all that, introduce them to the Father, to the triune God. The major role of a mother is to share with their sons and daughters Jesus. What does it say to those who will one day be mothers? Maybe you're here and one day your desire is to have a mother. Well, I would tell you, begin praying today for that child that God may open your womb, then He may grant you that child, and that He may grant you wisdom and love. Because I'm going to tell you, as soon as a mother has a child, the next question that a parent has as they're driving off from the hospital is, what now? What do I do now? You know, we've taken some classes, we've gotten some instruction, but what do we do with our child? How do you teach your children to love God? Let me tell you, if you don't yourself, you can't. And don't start when you have a child. If you're not doing it now, you won't do it then. So begin praying now. If you're here and one day your goal is to be a mother, whether you're married or you're, or you're not, if your goal one day is a mother, begin praying now for the wisdom and discernment of how to mother your child and to love that child. Know that children are a treasure from, this, from the Lord. What does this say to those who cannot have children? For we know we live in a world in which many cannot have children. If you cannot, give your pain and your hurt to God. Pray the prayer of Hannah. Look upon my affliction. Remember me and grant me my request. For God is a God who hears and he comforts. But also, if I could say this, and this is a tough word, trust in God's goodness and timing. Trust in God's goodness and timing. For let's make it clear, as much as we have an advance in science that now makes motherhood available to many different types of peoples and families, we must make it clear that it's God and God alone who opens and closes the womb. It is He that gives us children. So trust in His goodness and trust in his timing. And I say that because God's goodness for you may not be to grant you children. But don't lose hope. And don't lose heart that God is a God of love and a God of goodness. And then I would like to say, what does it say to those who have children that have grown up? You're no longer the Hannah. You've had your children. You've raised them. Well, I would ask you to trust that God is good and has a plan for you and your family and your child and children. Remember that your job is not done. You will mother and parent your children throughout their lives and throughout your natural life. It, never, it changes, it looks different, but God has called us to do so. And then my last one, what does this say to mothers who are worried about messing up their children? Or maybe your children are not serving the Lord. They're not fearing God. Even to the best of all you've done, they have chosen not to follow Him. 
Would you please rest in the goodness of God and his faithfulness? Remember that God covers what is lacking in our abilities. We can cause damage to our children. We can hurt our children. But we also trust that God is a God who loves and restores what is broken and what can be damaged. Let's give our desires to serve God. For in it we have the prayer of Hannah. God, look upon my affliction. God, remember me. And God, would you grant me my request? And in that I'll take those requests, those desires, and I give them back to you, that they may serve the Lord for your glory and for our good. With every head bowed and eye closed, would you just take a moment to pause, to pray, to consider and respond. In what way may God be calling you to respond to his word this morning? Father, you're a good God. And for many, this message may not have been something that, you know, for mothers, they're not mothers. Father, they've raised their children. Or maybe yet they don't have. But Lord, if anything, let us see a great picture of a woman who loved you and who trusted you. We see a picture of a, of a husband who loves his wife and has put you first and desires to worship you. Among all things, he loved you. And in that, he brought Hannah to you. Lord, hear our cry. Remember us. Grant us that which we need in order that we may give it up to you. Give us the grace to do so, knowing that, Lord, if we're faithful, that you reward those who are faithful. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.